You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. We've been talking about Psalm 91, and for the last several weeks, we've been discussing traps or snares. Psalm 91 talks about the fowler's snare, and a fowler was a bird catcher, a professional bird catcher, and the snare, of course, was his trap. And as I was meditating on that scripture again this week, I was thinking about how a fowler being a bird catcher is trying to trap birds, but on the ground. And you know that a bird in its natural environment, it's in the air. Even even they build their nests on high. They don't like to be down on the ground very often. And and when they are, it's just temporarily. And as I thought about that scripture this week, I was thinking about how the fowler, which is, is symbolic of the enemy of our soul, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who sets traps for us, and how that fowler had to lure the birds down to the ground, out of their natural environment where they were soaring and bring them down and trap them on his level. And how the enemy of our soul, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that's exactly what he does in our life. He tries to bring us down to his level. Not the level of goodness. The Bible says that that you and I will soar on wings like eagles. There'll be freedom for us. And when we are walking in close relationship with Christ, when we know Jesus, not just as a far off distant God, but as a God who we are in relationship with, who loves us, the lover of our soul, when we are really in close, intimate relationship with him, we are soaring on wings like eagles. But the enemy wants to lure us out of that place of intimacy, that place of connection with God. He wants us, my mama used to say, Rhea, if if the enemy can't make you bad, make you bad he'll make you busy because he accomplishes the same thing and what he wants is to lure us out of that intimate place with God out of understanding that God is not far off and distant he wants a relationship with his people and the enemy does not want us in relationship with him he doesn't want us soaring on wings like eagles he wants us trapped in his schemes from his plots from his appointments and his assignments in our life. And when we're trapped, it doesn't matter if we know Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're going to heaven. When we are trapped in an enemy's trap, we are powerless. And we won't make a difference for the kingdom. And so I want to move on in Psalm 91, and I want to talk to you about some other passages, but I really felt like I needed yet one more week on traps and snares. I was thinking this week about how one of the best traps that the enemy has is the trap of offense. You've heard me teach on this several times. Jesus says that you can be sure. This is Jesus speaking. I'm telling you, he means what he says. And he says, you can be sure that offenses will come. But woe to the man through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea than to hurt a child of mine. Do you know that you're a child of his? 
But Jesus says that, that offenses are bound to come. Somebody is going to offend you. Somebody is going to hurt you. Somebody's going to say something to you or do something to you to leave you offended. But it's interesting to me that that word offense that Jesus uses there. If, if I had a mousetrap up here tonight, the, the word in the original language in the Greek is the part of the mousetrap where the bait is kept. Jesus uses that very word to say to you and I that you can be sure that offenses will come. But he's saying, without saying, with just using the Greek word, he's saying to us that offenses are a trap. A trap set by the enemy. They're bait. And when you and I take bait, if I had a mouse trap and I set it for a mouse and I baited it with cheese, what would happen when the mouse took the cheese? He would be trapped. He would be caught. And the picture that Jesus is drawing in his word is that when you and I are offended, when somebody hurts us, when somebody does something bad to us, when somebody says something mean to us and we get offended, it is really bait on a trap. Don't take the bait. And I won't teach any more on that because I've taught on it before, but I really want to visit offense tonight. I, I've, been, I've been dealing with some things in my life, you know that, things that really have hurt me, things that have uh, hurt me deeply. People that have hurt me deeply. Anybody besides me ever get hurt? And, and I will tell you that in this world, people are, are nasty. They can be unkind. They can be nasty. Uh, they can be prickly. They can hurt you. But we always need to keep in mind that when that happens, it is a trap set by the enemy of our soul. It's bait on a trap. But I was thinking about how when we get offended, when we get hurt, when people say things and do things to us and we take that bait and, and we want to strike back or we want to say something mean back or we want to get vengeance, how we really get down to the level of the fowler. And instead of soaring on wings like eagles, we begin to get down on his level and do the things that he does instead of modeling and doing the things that Jesus tells us to be doing and following his example. Sometimes life is hard. And it's hard because maybe sickness or a job loss. Maybe it's hard because you have a prodigal child or unfortunate situations. But tonight I want to talk to you about life being hard because of enemies. Because of people who are out to harm us or to injure us. If you're here tonight and you don't have any trouble with that, we'll take good notes because it's only a matter of time. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Psalm chapter 5. Psalm chapter 5. Psalms, if you just go to the middle of your Bible and maybe you have to turn back a couple chapters, uh, you'll, you'll come to the book of Psalms. The, psalm 5 is, is what they call a lament psalm, or, or I really like this one, a complaint psalm is what I really like. You know that when you lament over something, you're mourning over it. You're, you're really uh, kind of discouraged. And, and this is David. David, King David, shepherd boy David, he's writing this psalm and, and, and he's complaining, he's lamenting to God. I wonder if you've ever lamented to God. You say, well, Rhea, I can't, I can't tell God I'm discouraged. I can't, I can't whine and complain to God, really? He wants us to come to him. He doesn't want us to just offer these our Father who art in heaven kind of prayers. He wants relationship with us. He wants relationship like I have with my husband, like I have with Leslie. He wants relationship with us. 
And if you can't be yourself with somebody, you will never develop intimacy with them. Intimacy is developed when we can be real, when we can say, this is who I am. I have struggles. I'm dealing with things. I need to talk to you about this. I'm really hurt over this. That's when intimacy gets developed. And God wants us to have intimacy with him. And if we have to come to God with everything together, we will not ever develop intimacy with him. He's a God who knows. He knows everything about us. Do you understand that? He already knows. I don't know why we try to hide it from him. He just wants us to come and to talk to him. And, and David here, he's, he's modeling in this psalm uh, what it means to really lament. He's discouraged. You'll find that out as we read through it. He's hurting. He's in pain because of enemies. People are doing things to him. They're hurting him. And this is his lament to God about it. Let's look at Psalm chapter 5, verse 1. Psalm chapter 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord in your righteousness, because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let also those who you love, who love your name, be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him like a shield. It's one of my favorite verses. Do you know that God surrounds you with favor like a shield? Oh, that's so good. So this is King David, and he's writing this psalm, and as I told you, he's discouraged. And we know that he's discouraged because of things people are saying to him. And we know that because of that, that passage, I think it's verses like 9 through 12, uh, and he's talking about their mouth leading to the pit and, and how their, their tongue will, will, will cause death, and, and it's all references to the mouth, to speaking. And so we know it's their words that have hurt him. And he's pouring his heart out before God. And he's reminding God about what they've done. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that can relate to that. Are you sitting here tonight and maybe you're hurting over something that was said to you? Something maybe 30 years that was said to you and it's still deep within your soul. It's still affecting you. Uh, let's look at that passage uh, he, he begins in, in, the, in the first couple of verses of Psalm chapter 5. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry. Look how it builds. He starts out by saying, 
give ears to my my words, Lord. I'm going to speak my words to you. I'm coming to talk to you. And, And then he says, consider my meditation. And that word meditation means groanings or musings. Sometimes when you're hurting so badly, you can't even use words. You just have to groan. You just sit before God and you muse over and over in your head and you replay it over and over in your head. And he's saying, give ear to my words. Consider, Lord, my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry. He's hurting. He's hurting. And notice how it increases with intensity as he goes on. And then he says, my king and my God. He addresses God as his king, as his Lord. When he uses the word Lord, that's the covenant name of God. I love it. I love when God said to Moses, he said, now go to the, to the Israelites. And they're in captivity in Egypt. And, and I want you to go and, and deliver my people. And Moses said, oh God, yeah, yeah I know what Pharaoh's like. I, I understand the people are in captivity. And you want little old me to go and tell Pharaoh, the big old mean Pharaoh, you want me to tell him, let my people go. And who should I tell him sent me? And God says, I am. He uses that word that David is using here, the great I am. He's saying, David is pouring out his heart before God and he's reminding him himself. He's saying, Lord, you are the great I am. Everything I have need of, you are, Lord. Do you understand that it doesn't matter who hurts you? It doesn't matter what people do to you. If you understand that God is your great I am, everything you have need of, he'll be for you. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to get even. You don't have to fight your own battles. You just need to stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Watch God come through for you. Do you believe that God will come through for you? Do you believe he's a good, good father? Do you believe he wants to perfect all that concerns you? Do you believe that his eye is on the sparrow so I know he watches you? Do you believe that the hair on your head has been numbered by God, that every tear you and I cry, the Bible says he keeps in a bottle? You see, if you really believe that, you start to understand that you can trust this God. He's not far off and distant. He's a God who cares about everything in your life, every detail in your life. I love that I got to dedicate baby Benjamin because I look at that sweet child and I'm reminded that God, not, not Isaac and, and, and Elizabeth, God knit him together. God created him. God purposed his life. Do you understand that there is a God, a God, a God who wants relationship with you and with me? And so David, he understood that because, but the Bible says that that, that David was a a man after God's own heart. (laughs) He understood God. He had relationship with God. He he knew that God delivered him from the bear and the lion. He, He knew that God took Goliath down for him. He knew God. And so he's pouring out his heart before God, and he says, Lord, I'm going to remind myself that you're the great I am. I'm going to remind myself that you're my king. You see, kings have subjects, and you and I are subjects to the king of kings and the lord of lords, and and king subjects can come to him and appeal. They can appeal before the king, and that's what David's doing. He's making his appeal. He's setting up his case here, and he's saying, Lord, I need you to listen to me. Give ear to my words. 
Have you ever felt like that? That you're just hurting so badly, that so many people have let you down, so many people have hurt you so deeply. And you go before God and say, are you even there? Are you even listening to me? Give ear to my word. Do you know how much I'm hurting, Lord? And that's where David's at. And he says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. I I just love that. There's so much there. He he says, in the morning you will hear my voice. I, I just wonder, have you ever had anything in your life when you wake up, your eyes pop open in the morning and it's like, boom. You're replaying it. You're thinking about it. They said this to me. They did this to me. And you're just replaying. It's the first thing you think about when you open your eyes in the morning. It's the last thing that you think about when you go to bed at night. And, and so David is giving us some advice here. He's saying, in the morning, Lord, I, I will direct my thoughts to you. In the morning, Lord, I will come before you. And he's saying, the first thing I'm going to do, Lord, is I, I, I know this thing is going to get to me if I think about it all day long. I know this thing is going to take up every moment of my thought life all day long. I know this thing is going to rob me of joy all day long if I continue to meditate on it. So Lord, I'm coming to you in the morning and I am directing my gaze to you. I'm directing my thoughts to you, Lord. And I'm giving this thing to you. And I'm asking you to take the burden from me. Do you know that the Bible says that God is our burden bearer? Anybody here have a burden besides me? God wants to bear it for you. That's why the Bible calls us sheep and not camels because a, a camel, that camel can have big old burdens on its back. But a little sheep, if you put, Dave used to raise sheep in, in England. And, and if you put a burden on a little sheep's back, little lamb's back, do you know what will happen to that? It'll break its back. And, and so when the Bible says that God is our burden bearer and that we are sheep and he is the shepherd, it means he does not want us carrying burdens. Are you here tonight and are you burdened? Can I promise you that God wants to be your burden bearer? He wants to lift that burden off of you. He wants you to be able to soar on wings like eagles and run and not be weary. He wants to be your great I am. Everything you have need of, he'll answer, I am. I'll be that for you. And so David says, I'm getting rid of this thing in the morning. Uh, it's the first thing on my mind and it's not going to be with me throughout this day and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek you early with this thing and I'm going to give it to you early I've got these enemies Lord they're saying things to me they're doing things to me and, and I'm not going to carry this throughout my day some of you are carrying it throughout your life somebody a parent or somebody hurt you years ago and it's still a first thing in your, on your mind all the time you're still replaying it it's like it happened yesterday and it really happened 30 years ago You can lay that thing down. You can trust God with it. And David's saying, I'm not going to carry this thing all day long. I'm not going to do it. It's it's defeating me. I'm walking in defeat and not in victory. Can I tell you that God wants you to walk in victory and not in defeat? He came that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. Are you living the abundant life or are you just merely getting by day in and day out? The Bible says that we should cast our cares onto God. I love that. That word in the original language means to actually throw. Lord, I'm throwing this onto you. I can't carry it anymore. It's too much for me to bear. Really, how is that worry serving you? Is it getting you any any, any more uh, victorious? How is that musing over and over, that, that pain and that heartache? Is that really serving you well? Throw that thing onto God. 
God, you say I should cast my cares onto you. I'm casting this onto you. And that's what David did. He said, I'm seeking you in the morning and I'm casting this thing onto you. It's interesting that that word prayer, it, it means it's a continuous ongoing prayer. And when I saw that, I'm like, Lord, how does that work? He's, he's, he's meeting with you in the morning, but the tense in the original language means that it's a continuous ongoing prayer. Do you know why I think that is? Because I think David got up in the morning and he met with God and he spent time with God and he cast that care onto God. He gave him his problems and his concerns and his worries and his anxieties in the morning. And that word continued, it was a continuous ongoing prayer because the benefits of having met with God that morning are with him throughout the day, carried him through his day. Do you know that every single morning I am up with the word of God? And I don't say that to boast. Dave will often say to me, stay in bed, baby. You're tired. And I'll say to him, I, I have too much stuff here. I've got too much I go through in life to not take time out to be with the Lord in the morning. I know what I'm like when I, when I have my time with the Lord. Can you imagine what I would be like if I didn't have my time with the Lord? And, and I'm telling you that time in the morning with God changes my life. It carries me through the day. Often when I'm in the word in the morning, in the Bible in the morning, I will be reading and, and something will jump off the page at me that I might have a conversation with somebody later on that afternoon and be able to pull that word and speak it into their life that evening. Because it's with me all day long. It's a continuous ongoing prayer like David says. That's why it's so important that we spend time with God. He says, in the morning, I will direct my prayer to you. It's so interesting, that word, uh, direct my prayer, it means, uh, it means to order. This is, this is so interesting. Chuck Swindoll says, if you look up that word, it really means to place an order like you do in a restaurant. I love that. In the morning, I'll place my order with you, Lord. And some of you are like, well, Rhea, you don't boss God around like that. And, and you don't be sassy like that to God. No, that's not what it means. When I go to a restaurant, they hand me a menu. It's what they already have available. And I go down through that menu and I said, I think I'll have this and I'll have this. And I place my order for what's already available. And that's what David is saying. I know the blessing of the Lord. I know what you promised the great I am that you will be for me. I know what you say you'll do. And so I'm placing my order, Lord, and I'm asking you to deliver me from my enemies. I'm asking you, Lord, to keep me at perfect peace. I'm asking you, Lord, to give me joy that's unspeakable. I'm placing my order. He says, early in the morning, I will direct my thoughts to you. There's so much that God wants to give us. The Bible, the, the Bible says that all of, all of this word is yea and amen to those who believe. That God means what he says. But you see, we can't know what he says if we don't know this word. All of these promises that God has given us. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He's not sorry he said these things. This is truth. This is truth. It's not a book. This is truth. These are God's promises to us. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of this universe left his promises behind for us to believe. And to, to, to say to us, every one of these are yea and amen, Rhea, if you'll just believe it. 
Do you believe that I will give you peace that passes all understanding? Do you believe that I'll, I'll, I'll dry every tear? Do you believe that no weapon that's been formed against you will prosper? Do you believe that I'll heal your broken heart? Do you believe that I'll set you free? Do you believe it? David says, early in the morning, I will direct my thoughts to you. I'll place my order. And then he says, and I will look up. Oh, I love this. That, that word look up, it means to look forward. <laughs> and, and it's so interesting. It doesn't just mean to look forward. It means uh, to gain a new perspective by looking up. It's the same word that's used in Habakkuk chapter 2. I'll read it to you. Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And it's a, it's a, that word is like a, a, it's a military term. And it's when a guard might send out a message to somebody and then he stations himself at the top of the, the wall or at the top of the tower and he waits and he looks in expectation for that messenger to come back to him with an answer. Oh, that's so good. David's saying, I'm going to present my request to you, God, and then I'm going to wait in expectation, in confident expectation that there's an answer coming back to me. Do you know that God wants to answer your prayers? He says, if you seek me, I'm the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And so David's saying, I'm going to station myself and I'm going to wait here. I have an expectation of an answer. I'm going to give it to you early in my day and then not walk around. See, this is what we do. Somebody hurts us. Somebody does us dirty and we want to get even. We want to get mad. We want to tell them a thing or two. We want to treat them like they treat us. And in the meantime, we don't look any different than the unbeliever down the street. Our life should look different because we have Jesus in it, guys. But we end up taking the bait and coming down to the same level as the fowler. And we become just like him. And so David's saying, you know what? I have enemies. I have things that are going wrong in my life. I'm discouraged. I'm down in the dumps right now. But I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to cast this onto you. And then I am not going to mope around depressed and down in the dumps all day. Woe is me. Look how pitiful my life is. Instead, I'm going to wait with confident expectation that you are going to come through for me, Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's so interesting to me that, that Peter, you know the story, when, when Peter was in prison. And he, he's, he's in jail, and his friends are all, I think, in the upper room. They were in a room, uh, and they were praying for him, and they were praying fervently that he be released from prison. You know the story? And then there's a knock on the door. Who is it? Does anybody know? It's Peter. And Rhoda, the little servant girl, goes and answers the door, and I think she slams it shut. And she goes back and she says to them, they say, who was at the door? And she says, Peter. Now remember, they're praying with expectation that he's going to get released from prison. And their reply to her, does anybody know what the reply was? It must have been his ghost. Think about it. Here is a whole room of people praying, praying to God that Peter gets released from prison. Knock, knock on the door. It's Peter. Oh, it can't be Peter. It must be his ghost. And isn't that what we do, guys? 
That's how we pray. David is saying, pray and then look forward. Expect God to answer. Wait in expectation of the answer coming back to you. And instead we pray like Peter's friends. We pray, we're super spiritual, but we really don't expect anything in return. The Bible says that those, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without confidence that he'll do what he says he'll do, it's impossible to please God. David expected God to come through for him. And then the word says, and then he looked up. Oh, I, I just love it because the, you, you see the next couple, the next couple verses, he, he talks about the character of God. Look at verses four through six. You're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil shall dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood, who lie, <laughs> who deceive. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. He, he's, he's reminding himself of the character of God. I, I, know, I know these people are doing this to me. I know they're nasty and unkind. And I feel like I'm all alone in this. But I'm going to remind myself that God does not like those kind of people either. That evil cannot be in his presence. That he abhors wickedness. And so I'm going to remind myself of that. When I feel like he's deserted me, when I feel like he's abandoned me, when I feel like he doesn't really care that I'm getting hurt, I'm going to remind myself that he abhors wickedness, that he can't handle people who lie, that he hates workers of iniquity, people who, 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 who scheme together and boast together and plot and scheme to bring us down. And so David is meditating on God's character. And, and that word, look up, it's so interesting. So I, I, I'm, I'm playing with, do I want to tell you this or not? Because I think I'm going to preach on it in, in a few weeks. But uh, do you know the story where Jesus is feeding the 5,000? For those of you that don't know the story, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. There are 5,000 people there. And really, there's a whole lot more than 5,000 because all they counted were the men. Because we didn't matter women. And so, really, it's 5,000 plus women and children. So there's a whole lot of people there. And, and what happens? Anybody know what happens? Jesus has to feed them. The disciples say, where are we going to get food for all these people? And Jesus says, does anybody have any food? And this little boy comes and he has five loaves and two fishes. 5,000 plus people, five loaves, two fishes. Don't tell me God's not powerful. And the Bible says that Jesus took those five loaves and two fishes and he broke the loaf. And, and the, the scripture says, and then he looked up. Same word. He looked up. Do you know what that word means? Oh, it's so good. Jesus is saying, this is Jesus who's every way in human, a human he, he's every way a human like you and I at that point. <laughs> he's not tapping in to his, to his supernatural powers at that point. He's trusting God like he's giving us an example of what it means to trust God. And so he says, five loaves, two fishes, I have to feed 5,000 people. He breaks the bread, he looks up, and, and, and the word look up means he's recovering his sight. Oh, baby. 
See, some of you aren't getting that because Jesus is recovering a sight. He's having to say, I got to feed 5,000 people and the women and the children with five loaves and two fishes. Oh, baby, this is going to take a move of God. And, and, and if I look at the natural circumstances, I'm going to be discouraged. And so I'm looking up and I'm going to recover my sight because I'm fixing it on you, God, the one who is able, the great I am, everything I have need of, you are Lord. And so I'm going to recover my sight. And what, what David is saying here is I'm discouraged. All these people are coming at me. People are nasty. I have a lot of enemies and I really am discouraged and I want to go to bed and have a good sulk. But I am going to choose to direct my gaze to you. And I'm going to recover my sight, understanding the character of God and who you are, Lord. Some of us just need to recover our sight. We've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten how powerful he is. We've forgotten that our circumstances do not determine our destiny. Look up. When things are hard, look up and recover your sight. Uh, now he, he, he's made his complaint. He's reminded himself of the character of God. And now in verse 7, he's going to talk about himself. He says, as for me, I come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. Now we're going we're gonna to go on and we're going to see where David tells God about all the nasty things these people are doing to him and, and how they're, they're, talking, they're talking smack to him and they're saying nasty things to him and, 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 and he wants God to turn them over to their own devices and he wants God to bring them down. And, and you want to say, David, do you not understand you're a sinner too? You have that same capability in you too, and yet you're praying that God takes these people out. But see, this is the trick here. He says, I come into your presence in the multitude of your mercy. You see, David has a position that his enemies didn't have. David had a position in God, in, in his mercy. And you and I have that position. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved by grace. We come in the multitude of his mercy. He doesn't treat us like our sins deserve anymore. He washes us and removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. But he says, as for me, I come into your house in the multitude of your mercy in fear of you. I want to just stop there in fear of you. Leslie? For years, Leslie and I would pray. She'd come over to the house and we'd pray in the morning. And one of the things we'd pray against, because you can't do what I do and fear man. You can't do what I do and preach the way I preach and worry about what people are saying about you because it'll ch you change your message. And I, I will not do that. And, and so Leslie and I would get together and we would pray. And one of the things we would constantly pray is the Bible says you should not have a fear of man, but you should have a fear of God. And so we would pray and we'd say, Lord, just remove any fear of man in us and give us a fear of you. Let us fear you more than we fear any man. And, and I'm just going to tell you that I believe today, church, that we have lost our fear of God. And I don't mean, oh, God, you're so big and I need to fear you that lightning's going to strike me. That's not the kind of fear this is. It's a reverence. But if you look this up in the original language, if you miss everything I say tonight, don't miss this. The fear of God, and I think that we are, we are lacking, seriously lacking in the fear of God in this world today. And, and that word fear of God, if you look it up, the Vines Dictionary says that it is a wholesome dread of displeasing God. Oh, does that get anybody besides me? 
What if we lived our life in the fear of God with the wholesome dread of displeasing him? What would our world look like, guys? If we lived with the wholesome dread of displeasing God, if everything we did, we stopped and said, is this going to displease you, Lord? Because if it's going to displease you, I'm not doing it. I don't care how much I want to do it. I don't care how fun it looks. I don't care how how good I'm going to feel afterwards. If this is going to displease you, Lord, I am having no part of it. What would our world look like if that's how we lived? What would our world look like? No wonder people don't want our Jesus. No wonder our religion is not appealing to people. Because we don't look any different than the unbeliever down the street. Because we don't have a fear of God. We don't have a wholesome dread of displeasing him. And that's, this is so good because later David says, if you just look at this, this is so great. He says, in fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. O Lord, keep me on the straight and narrow path because of my enemies. What he's saying is the temptation, Lord, to smack them back is there. The temptation to, 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 to say something nasty in return is there. The temptation to just give them a cold shoulder is there. The temptation temptation, Lord, to ruin their reputation like they're ruining mine is there. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to lead me in righteousness because of my enemies, because I'm tempted, Lord, to nail them right back. And I don't want to look like they look, Lord. I don't want to take that bait on the trap. I don't want to become just like them, Lord. I want to look different. And so, would you just lead me in righteousness because of my enemies? Can you just give me a wholesome dread of displeasing you, Lord? Because when I want to say something nasty in return, let that wholesome dread of displeasing you stop me. When I want to smack them silly, let that wholesome dread of displeasing you stop me. When I want to go to bed and sulk and be depressed because nobody likes me, I'm having a no good, terrible, horrible, really rotten, bad day. Let the wholesome dread of displeasing you stop me. And let me recover my sight and understand that you are the great I am. Everything I have need of, you will be for me. And that you're my defender, that you're my advocate that you're my strong tower, I can run into you and be safe. And if God be for me, what in the world can man do to me? And so he says, oh Lord, lead me in your righteousness. I, I need you to lead me because the temptation to get off the path is, is pretty good right now, Lord. And so I need you to lead me. I'm not asking you to help me. I'm telling you to lead me because I am going to get off track here. He says, in fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. And that, that's interesting, that word holy temple, it, it's a poetic reference to an intimate fellowship with the Lord. Oh, it, it's intimate fellowship with the Lord. You see, that's what, David set, that's what set David apart from his enemies. Yes, David was a sinner just like they were. But he had this intimate fellowship with his Lord. And he had a wholesome dread of displeasing God. 
And he doesn't want to act like his enemies. He doesn't want to take on their characteristics. He wants to take on God's. And then he goes on to describe his enemies, and I I read that all to you about their mouth, and it's interesting that he says, let them fall by their own counsels, by their own devices. Can I just talk to people who really behave like that right now? Gossips. What are you doing? Backbiters. People who are nasty and unkind. Is that really how you want to behave? Do you want to fall into that trap? Or do you want to be different? Do you want to stand out because you look a little bit more like Jesus than the unbeliever down the street? Church, we have no business behaving like that and calling ourselves a Christian. I'm sorry if that makes you feel condemned. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to tell you it's the truth. I'm talking to myself as well. We have got to start looking different. We've got to start having a wholesome dread of displeasing God so that we can win a world for him. That people say, what is different about her? I want what she has. Guess what I have? Jesus. And yes, you do. You want him. Because there's a heaven and there's a hell. And without Jesus, guess what? But let those who put their trust in you Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Back to Psalm 91, that word defend there is cover. He covers you with his wings. It's a picture of a hen. I was raised in Pennsylvania, and there were farms all around my home when I was growing up. And I I loved, uh, I had a girlfriend who had a chicken farm, and we would go and we'd try to catch chickens. This summer, there was a rooster in our neighborhood. We have no idea how it got there. It was so funny. All the guys, get me back on track, but all the, there, there were what, Davy, three, two or three guys that had gloves on and they're chasing after this rooster and the rooster is making a total fool out of them. And I used to chase, I used to catch chickens and so I get my gloves and they look at me like I'm absolutely, you know, oh, Rhea, you're not going to catch this rooster. Yeah, I did. Where was I at? So I loved to catch chickens. And, and, and so what would happen in, if in, within the chicken coops, if, if there would be a fox or there would be some threat to the chicks, the mother hen, she would not go chasing after them and go catch them. She'd just go clack, clack, clack. She'd lift herself up. She'd puff out her feathers. And all these little baby chicks would come running underneath her feathers, and then she'd sit back down on the feathers. And they'd be protected. That's the picture when he says, I'll cover you with my wing. Do you see, church, if we really got that we are protected, that we are covered, that we are defended by God, ooh, by God, just try to talk smack to me. Just try to be nasty to me. I am able to say, do you have any idea who you've just been nasty to? I get that I am defended by God. I get that I am covered by God. I get that you mess with me, you've messed with the apple of God's eye. Would not want to be you for anything in this world. You see, if we really got it, that God means what he says, that you are the apple of his eye, that he takes pleasure in you, that he takes great delight in you. He is not a far off distant God who's uninvolved in your life. He's real. He's a life changer. 
Why would you not want to run to him? And, and the Bible says that those who take cover, I, I just want to find the, the exact wording. It says, but let those who rejoice put their trust in you. That word trust means uh, to, uh, to run to you for refuge, to flee to you for protection. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him like a shield. Let them who know your name be joyful in you. Last thing that I want to tell you. Do you know what to know the name of God is? That his names are his character. That's why it's so important that we study the names of God. Because if we don't know what his name means, we won't know his character. And so it's vital that you understand that his name is Jehovah, the great I am. It's vital that you understand his name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, your provider. It's vital that you understand his name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. It's vital that you understand his name is Emmanuel, God with you. You see, when you know his name, you know his character. You know who he is. And, and this passage, David says, let those who know your name rejoice so, because they understand you're going to be everything they need you to be, that they are safe with you. So let me flesh this out for you. This week when somebody hurts you, when somebody says something unkind to you, when you're dealing with a uh, a parent that has been nasty to you or unkind, a childhood that was not easy, and, and you just don't even want relationship with that person. When your coworker is rude to you or when your husband says something off color or nasty to you, it's a turning point at that place. We can either respond in like manner and, and not soar on wings like eagle, but come right down onto the level of the fowler and fall into his trap. Because the Bible says a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, not tearing them down. When you want to get even, can you recover your sight and remind yourself who God is? And what he says he'll be for you. Can you walk away from a fight? Can you walk away from nasty, unkind words? Can you walk away from a gossip session and you know they're talking about you and just smile and bless them because you understand? God abhors that kind of stuff. He abhors it. You see, we get this, oh, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Where do we get that? Because this passage says, he abhors and hates those who commit iniquity. Not he hates the iniquity. He hates those who commit it. He hates the bloodthirsty. He hates those who deceive and lie. He hates them. Look at the scripture, church. You see, we repeat what everybody says because we think it sounds good. But I'm telling you, we need to go back to the scripture. And it says he hates that. We gotta look different than the unbeliever down the street. 
If we are no different than what good is our religion, what good is our relationship, what good is our God if he doesn't make any difference in our life? But at every point we have a choice. Will I respond in like manner? Or will I cast this on to God and trust him to defend me, trust him to cover me? And will I choose then, Lord, to walk in righteousness in the right ways, in the ways that please you, Lord, and not get caught up in the ways my enemies and the people who have hurt me are acting? It's a choice. Scripture says I've set before you life and death. Choose. I'm going to do a better job this week of choosing. Didn't do such a good job last week. But this week I'm going to do a little better job. It's a choice. You say, well, that's striving. No, it's not. That is in the multitude of your mercy and of your grace because he surrounds those who trust in him with favor like a shield. Favor is grace. <laughs> now there's where grace comes into play. Kels, he'll surround you with favor, grace, to do what he's called you to do like a shield. It'll be a protection for you when you're walking in the way he's called you to walk. It's a protection. That word shield, it means a full body shield. You are safe, dear one, when you're walking in righteousness because of the grace of God that enables you to do it. Mm. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's powerful and it's active. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give revelation. I pray that you continue to give understanding. Lord, that you would make yourself known to them. Make yourself known to me. I pray, Father, that this week, I, I just want to pray, first of all, for the people who are sitting here who have been wounded by, by hurtful, hateful words. People who have been done dirty by enemies that should have known better. By flaming arrows and, 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 and nasty, unkind things. And Lord God, I want to pray for their hearts right now. I want to pray, Lord God, that you would show them that you want to bind up their broken heart. That you want to heal what's been broken. And that there really is life in doing it your way. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go out in this world this week, that we would look a little bit different. That we would look a little bit more like you. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ. Thank you.